the dust, I believe, has settled. We are now Thursday, so that's that's three days from the legal tampering period, one day after the official start of NFL free agency. And there's a lot of years where you just see guys storming out of the gates. And by guys, I mean teams. And this year, didn't really have that. There was nobody that was just throwing money left and right. The Broncos spent a lot of cash, which didn't quite anticipate. Some teams do that. Some teams you always expect it to happen when you see money like the Bears. Albeit they haven't spent that much money so far. They've spent some. Uh, obviously got the number one pick. But there, there hasn't been just that out of nowhere or even just that head-turning number that has been spent in free agency from one team. And that's okay. There's still been a lot of action, but the main things have yet to actually been official. That's Lamar Jackson returning to the Ravens or going to a new team. Aaron Rodgers, he's already said that he wants to go to the Jets, but it's not official. So it's kind of uh, at a standstill between the actual trade being agreed upon, but it's going to happen. So we still got a lot to talk about, still a lot of moves that I want to get into, and that's what we'll discuss here in the pod. Wanted to make sure I waited to get all the information. So here we are on Thursday. It's episode 112 of the podcast. It's strange to think that in 2010, when LeBron James made the decision on air live on ESPN that You know, it was met with a lot of criticism, some rightfully so. I don't believe that if you're leaving a team, especially when you're a a landmark like LeBron and you played for your home state team, probably not a good idea. But you do have to give some acknowledgement to nowadays you have Aaron Rodgers going on Pat McAfee's show a former player, and his live feed on YouTube, and he's making announcements about his future. Very different worlds between 2010 and 2023. And and granted, it's 13 years. It's it's really weird to think about. I recall the decision getting to my hotel room in uh, the middle of nowhere, Indiana, with my travel baseball team. I believe it was July. And you got uh, LeBron James saying he's going to team up with Bosh and Wade and uh, that was that was a lot of fun, actually. I know a lot of people hated LeBron for that. Seems like LeBron's now loved by just about everybody. I always thought LeBron, the villain, was kind of the the coolest version of himself. But with Rodgers, it's going to be interesting how his legacy is shaped with the Jets' tenure. Because I really see this being one of two ways, but maybe it is in the middle, ultimately. I don't see them having smashing success. I tend to lean that they're going to miss out on the playoffs in 2023. You got the Dolphins that are loading up. Belichick is never going to lose uh, the majority of his games. He's always going to be at six to nine wins, seven, eight, nine wins. Like the Bears, would they be a three and 14 team if Belichick was coaching them? I don't think so. So with Rodgers, he's going into a tough division here. You got Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills, and you got the greatest coach of all time, and you got Miami, who's spending every less dime that they have. They got Jalen Ramsey. They got Tyreek. I'm not the biggest Tua guy, but obviously they got a coach that knows how to get some points on the board. You're going into a gauntlet of a division, and that doesn't even get to the rest of the AFC. So 
a motivated Rodgers is a scary thing, but is he going to be ultimately motivated? Is he going to be comfortable in a new place? Is he going to do the extra stuff that Tom Brady did, throwing at the compound, uh, at the excuse me, the compound down there in Tampa, walking into the wrong room in Tampa Bay, thinking he's at Byron Leftwich's house uh, with COVID going on and, and breaking the rules that way? At the time, they couldn't even uh, go out anywhere or meet up as a group, but he was, you know, going under the table with this, the back channel roads to get the extra work in because. He had been in New England for 19 years. Are those the type of measures that Aaron Rodgers is going to go to? Historically, that's never really been his thing. He's kind of ran the the show in Green Bay, especially ever since Elliot Wolf and McKenzie and all the cats that he named, Schneider, uh, uh, Dorsey, all the front office executives. Once they went on to their other jobs and their new teams, things kind of shifted and it's been Aaron's show. And then they uh, drafted Jordan Love. So, is he going to be comfortable soon enough to get enough victories and make the Jets a playoff team? I, I know they got all the players, but it's also about how that's all in cohesion. And I can just see it now. Week five, week six, and it's an ugly two and four record or three and three. And the the, the New York Post, the New York Times, uh, uh, WFAN, and just all the countless Media outlets out there are calling for him to play better. Is he going to lash out? Is he going to say something? Is he going to do R-E-L-A-X? That, that won't fly. So it, what, the decisions he makes now, once this deal is finalized, and what he does with the rest of his offseason, it's going to shape whether this is a smashing success or an ultimate failure. So Lamar has not had many conversations from what I've read, from what I've heard, what I've seen. Not a whole lot of interest from a lot of teams out there. They're not interested in giving up two first-round picks and giving a fully guaranteed $240 million contractor in that realm as far as numbers. Because when you look at the Cleveland Browns and Deshaun Watson, do you think they love that deal, the Cleveland Brass? No, I think they would probably want a mulligan on that one. They were in a desperate situation, and they definitely wanted to upgrade the quarterback. And the thing that people forget is that Deshaun Watson said no originally. He said, no, thank you. I do not want to go to Cleveland. The only reason Cleveland got him was for the money. And it sounds like that's kind of a similar story with Aaron Rodgers. The only reason he probably went back to Green Bay was for the money he got. $150 $150 million guaranteed. So it's a lot to ask an organization for any player. I think maybe the only one, Patrick Mahomes, would be worth two first-round picks and a fully guaranteed 234-year deal. Lamar is living in a fantasy world, and he's an excellent player. I think Baltimore should pay him, and I think all roads ultimately lead back to the Ravens because no team is willing to go that route with him. He's a spectacular player. He deserves a second contract, but he's looking at this the entirely, uh, the entire wrong way. The Browns are a clown show of a franchise. Deshaun did not warrant that type of deal. And every quarterback thereafter, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, uh, I think there was another one in there. Anyone that signed a contract that was quarterback after that, they didn't get a fully guaranteed deal. So you're not getting it either, Lamar. The surface level analysis of I'm a better guy, 
I'm a better player. I'm a better teammate. So I deserve more than Deshaun. That's not enough. Teams do not look at it that way. And I see all this thrown around on the internet as far as he deserves it. What do you mean deserves? You deserve what you negotiate. You think you deserve a number? Well, if a team's not willing to give it to you, why do you think you're entitled to it? That doesn't make any sense. You're only as good as what you can bargain for. And right now, you're bargaining with your mom and yourself, and you really should hire representation so this can get done. And it's going to be far less than what you originally thought. And you could be in a great situation. And when you sell out for the money, that's oftentimes where you find yourself not in the best of place uh, from a personal standpoint with football. Look at Russell Wilson. Look at Aaron Rodgers. They've moved off teams. They've had to dump situations from head coaches, from general managers, franchises. When you sell out for the money, it's never a good move. Look at Tom Brady, who's had the most stellar career at the position. It's obviously not in the best of places when you talk about the calendar. The World Baseball Classic, it clashes with spring training for its sport, baseball, and then NCAA March Madness, which we got the first day of as of this recording with the tournament. So the WBC happens every four years. I've enjoyed it quite a bit. Maybe it will never get to the level where it actually overtakes what else is going on. But if you're a baseball fan, this is definitely something you're into. Much like myself, I am really into all the different countries full of major league players, along with some double-A, single-A guys who otherwise would not get that opportunity yet to compete against major league talent because they wouldn't be good enough on their MLB franchise. But because they've been separated by country, you see guys for Nicaragua and Colombia and Venezuela, they're able to compete because they need natives from the homeland. And it's just, it's a phenomenal competitive tournament. Now, baseball, the odds obviously are low. That's what makes it so competitive. Three out of 10 in a career, that's a Hall of Famer. So naturally, you see teams like the DR that got knocked out. It's so much fun to actually see a powerhouse lineup like that, though. Everyone's giving it their all. Everyone is treating it like a World Series. It's not just two teams. It's 16 teams treating it like that. It is, it, it's great stuff. I love it. I remember last time, I guess it's six years now in 2017, I liked it quite a bit, but there were some names missing. You know, Mike Trout did not go. Uh, Thor, Noah Syndergaard famously, you know, kind of threw cold water on it, and he has since walked that back. Guys now want to play in it everybody's desperately wanting to do it. The Yankees pretty much said none of their players are going, so that's a shame. You don't get Aaron Judge playing for the Americans. I really think that this can be up there amongst the global tournaments as far as just popularity. It's going to be a World Cup-style thing. Will it overtake that? No, but it can one day. It's a very young idea. It's a very young exercise. It's only been around since 2006. So I think the more... You get it on TV, the more you actually have talent amongst these other clubs. Yeah, you see uh, even the Netherlands, you have Japan coming over, who obviously we're, we're getting more and more talent, and you got Otani, who's going to be in the league for 15 years. And then now Cuba 
is allowing their major league talent to play for their team, it's only going to make it better. And I think you see the different cultural celebrations. Um, you see the passion. Love it. And I think the WBC is just hitting its stride. And I'm going to be watching every inning that I can until it's over. I read something the other day that the AI bots, the artificial intelligent bots that are uh, taken over as personal assistants and have really supplanted or are on pace to supplant the Alexas and the series and, and all the other stuff that we've had at our disposal to help us with our lives, ask questions, uh, look up meaningless uh, sports stats. That's what, that's what I do with, with my phone. I read something the other day that AI, while is like very new, it's only a couple of years old or something, it's already surpassed them after a decade-long head start by Amazon and Google and Apple with their with their software. And that's one of those things that, you know, on the surface, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Like you would think Siri should be far along developed than these AI bots because they've, they've just had more time to work out the kinks and everything. But then you think about it and it's just like, well, yeah, they needed that time frame to actually see what worked, what didn't. And like we said earlier in the podcast, 2010 is a lot different than 2023. It just is. There, there we're a far less patient society. We need instant results. We're not going to be okay with average. We need you to deliver, and excuses, those are out the window. It's just the way we work, for better or for worse. And I got to thinking, with the Raiders and Jimmy Garoppolo, at first you think, oh, makes total sense. He was drafted in New England. Josh McDaniels was the coordinator there. They worked hand-in-hand for four years or whatever it was, and now they're back together. But it also doesn't really make a whole lot of sense because you have Devontae Adams and he's a deep ball threat and he can run any route on the field. But by trading Darren Waller, a guy who is your other deep threat, and then pairing Devontae with Jimmy Garoppolo, you're pretty much taking the explosive part of your offense out of the playbook. Where is... Are you going to create those 15, 20-yard plays in the air? You going to throw it to Josh Jacobs? You going to hand it off to Josh Jacobs? You going to throw it to Hunter Renfro? I mean, I know Devontae can catch and run, but you're really just kind of taking that off the script, and I don't really get it. McDaniels is a bright guy. He's got a GM that he's in sync with. I didn't really understand signing Jimmy, though. Now, it's... Looks like they're probably going to draft a guy, too, just based off the numbers. I know Jimmy got three years. It's like only 37 mil guaranteed, so not a whole lot of money uh, in the grand scheme of things. But it was a curious move, and I'm not saying it's going to be a failure, but I don't think it really bodes well for Devontae Adams and, and him taking the top off the defense, Randy Moss style. I don't see it happening. And Waller, that one I'm a little bit more okay with. The guy hasn't been available. He hasn't played like a Pro Bowl player. It is a supreme talent that you are offering away a, a for a third-round pick, but that does make some sense. So um, it's it's a little strange to see them go this way for quarterback, but you know McDaniels, he's a bright mind. He does have a lot of urgency, though, just from a, a uh, perceptive 
position, he's got to start winning some games because between his first year with the Raiders and how his Broncos tenure ended, he, he is not looking good on the outside. So a lot of injuries piling up despite none of their guys being in the WBC. You got Carlos Rodon that's going to miss some time. Six weeks, I think it's going to be uh, to start the season. Harrison Bader, Lou Trevino, um, uh, some other arms as far as oh, uh, Tommy Canely. The Yankees got a lot of injuries piling up. They're looking thin to start the year. And then just in a matter of days now, including uh, Edwin Diaz in the WBC, He's going to be out for the year. The Mets don't have their closer. Jose Quintana, who is the game one starter for the Cardinals, he's going to be out. So the New York baseball clubs, they're in trouble to start the year. Now, the one that I think is best suited to sustain this is the Mets because you got a couple of horses and Scherzer and Verlander, are they older? Yes, they're defying age. And I shouldn't even say defy. They know how to build up and keep themselves stamina wise ready for the season so I I don't worry about them even though overall their rotation is pretty old I'm pretty sure they their average age is in the mid 30s now I think it is going to be a blow missing Diaz but they will sign another guy maybe like a Ken Giles or, or even a Zach Britton to the Mets bullpen so I think they'll spend some money there and get another arm that's capable of uh being okay so Adam Adovino, he'll step in uh, along with Brooks Raley. The Yankees, however, this is not good. They have good starting pitching, probably the best five, but they lack depth. In their minor leagues, you have nobody at the AAA or AA level that can step in outside of Clark Schmidt, but he, he's going to be on the big league roster. Outside of that, there's nobody that can step in and give you power innings from the get-go. This is the AL East. You're going to have to be on your game from April through September. You got the Blue Jays. Boston is always going to look to rebound. That's not a losing franchise. They're not just going to be okay piling up losing season after losing season. They're going to look to bounce back. The Orioles obviously want to take a step forward. And you got the Rays along with it. So it's, it's a situation here where Brian Cashman might have to make a move. And he might have to make a move in spring training or early April because right now, internally, I don't see them being able to cover innings if this trend continues. So finally, it looks like the tenure of Paul DeYoung might be coming to an end. I know the Cardinals, they don't pay guys to go away and he's got a salary that is out there. But, you know, I hate to say it because it it is a guy getting injured and Paul DeYoung has been nothing but a good ambassador and a good sport despite all the struggles he had a 33 percent strikeout rate last year batted 157 I, I think he's kept a pretty good attitude throughout it it's it's pretty easy to lose your cool in a situation like that especially when you got a team covered like St. Louis there's always going to be questions about every player on the roster but He's now hurt again. He's had the elbow thing or the arm fatigue. Now he's got a back that's keeping him out. He wasn't in the lineup today on Thursday. It's time for the Cardinals to bite the bullet and cut him. Let him go. He needs a fresh start. I don't think hearing the same voice or the same voices in the Cardinals organization is going to help this guy anymore. 
It's a sunk cost. You also have Mason Wynn, who you want to get every day at bats to at some point in 2023. Tommy Edmond is now back from Korea with the World Baseball Classic. This looks like the beginning of the end. And I know it was never really trending in the right direction that he would be a big contributor in 2023, but we knew coming in from the offseason that Paul DeYoung was going to be on this team. This starts to feel like it might be shifting things because he now has another ailment. So I hope the best for the guy. It is really strange. In 2019, juice ball year, he had 30 home runs, so maybe he just never really was quite that player. But it's kind of like Matt Carpenter. Matt Carpenter rebounded, but it was an absolute cliff that he fell off before he left the Cardinals. So sorry for Paul DeYoung, but there are more opportunities out there for the Cardinals to be better at the position. Additionally, Jack Flaherty, he's pitching, and we have seen some some sights of the old Jack Flaherty. Again, this is a guy that just needs to focus on pitching. I see too much in the last couple of years, there was too much talking about what was going on in the world socially, politically, talking about the commissioner and the labor negotiations. Let's get away from that. Let's get back on the mound. Let's try to be an ace again, because if he is an ace, that is a big, big time difference maker for St. Louis, because right now they got a lot of guys that are capable, a lot of guys that are not going to be flops on their pitching staff. But if you can get a number one, and it's through Jack Flaherty, a guy that you don't have to acquire, big-time move for their pitching staff. And the other area here, and it's disappointing because he was out there. Um, what's his name? He's pitching for Oakland and the Cubs, the guy with the mustache. He's now on Arizona. It's really disappointing that they did not get that left-hander, uh, Chafin, Andrew Chafin, for free agency. They didn't get him for $8 million or whatever the hell the guy was seeking. Instead, they're rolling with Zach Thompson. And they're hoping that Genesis Cabrera, Henesis Cabrera, can reform, even though he was awful down the stretch last year. That's the weak point in this bullpen. Otherwise, you got a pretty strong stable of arms. And you got Gallegos that hopefully can speed up on the mound because the pitch clocks pitch clock is going to be a huge factor for him. But that that's the one point I look at here. There just is not that tough lefty that you can get to. And remember, it's American League this year. You play everybody. So it's really double the amount of left-handers that you're going to see. And I just think about all the guys that bat left-handed in the American League that you're going to have to face. You need a power arm or a difference maker down there, a guy that can get a lot of strikeouts. And I just don't know if they have that on this current staff. Thanks so much for choosing the show. It's the podcast at gmail.com where you can get a hold of me if you have any questions or at Pete4C. That's on Twitter where you can get a hold of me that way. And if you want to get on the show, 816-226-7483. And remember to follow and subscribe and tell your pals about it. Uh, Tell your enemies about it. Tell everyone about it. We come out weekly, talk NFL football, even WBC. And we'll talk some NCAA hoops if we got to. I know the Missouri Tigers, they're rolling. They got a win against Utah State. And they got Princeton, who just upset Arizona. We We got the Tigers back on the hoop scene. First time since the Frank Haith days. Good grief. And uh, we'll, we'll just be continuing to talk sports. So thanks so much for tuning in. See you next week. <laughs>